0: If you'll turn in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning, that's where we'll be in the Word of God. uh, Y'all wave at Melanie. It is her birthday today, my beautiful bride. So Melanie, raise your hand. If you don't know, that's my wife. Uh, Everybody always doesn't always put together uh, who my wife is. Uh, And so one day I kissed her on the cheek when she was leaving stage, and somebody asked me after service, is that your wife or you just kissed the band members? I'm like, that's my wife. I don't typically... Austin's not usually down with that, so yeah, I don't usually kiss band members. Um, so, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, thank you for wishing her a happy birthday. She is the best part of me, and I am blessed to have her as, as my bride. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's funny that we're talking about this very subject because today is on the issue and the topic of singleness. Last week, we talked about marriage and singleness. We broached subjects like what the Bible has to say about divorce and, and a lot of other issues, and today... We're going to kind of zero in, rather than talking about, you know, kind of all three at once, he really zeroes in in chapter 7, and he wants to deepen uh, this understanding of singleness. When we talk about marriage and singleness, last week, you remember, he kept saying that this is what the Lord has said. This is what the Lord has commanded. And last week, he kind of set the parameters for what marriage, divorce, remarriage, all of it looks like. And he literally said, This is what Jesus had to say about it. And that was his starting point. That, that we've got to understand that when Jesus spoke these things, he was giving to us moral absolutes. These are things that are commands of Jesus that, that really we don't change, we don't shift. I mean, it's not that Jesus was giving us his opinion or thoughts or advice, but he was telling us what his expectations were for us to be obedient in marriage. And then Paul would turn around and you're gonna see it again this week and he would say now this is not the Lord speaking this is me speaking it doesn't mean that he was less inspired It doesn't mean that we can ignore what Paul is saying here what it means is that now he's helping us understand something that really is important for us as we study the Bible we have to understand that in the Bible there are what we call precepts those things that are clear commands these are the things that are moral issues on which we have to stand on what God's Word says, whether we like it, whether we don't, whether we want to agree with it, whether we don't. These are the absolutes that God has given to us. And usually they come in the forms of thou shalt" and thou shalt not." right? And it's very clear most times that this is a command. But then also in the Bible, we have what the Bible calls uh, principles. And these are things that when you read what Paul says, some of the translations are going to use the term advice. Some of them are going to use the term opinion. What it means is that there are issues that are not about morality, but yet people have questions, and how do we navigate the questions that people have about certain topics? Just like last week, I answered a lot of questions, a lot of letters that people had, Because while we dealt with divorce and remarriage in a broad context of what Jesus had to say very broadly, of course people were like, well, listen, I've got questions. I want you to understand the situation that I'm in and can you help me navigate? What should I feel? What should I say? What should I do in these scenarios? And with everybody in a room this big, listen, it would take me hours upon hours upon hours to sit down and try to figure out how to preach all the nuances, all the caveats, all the small details of each one of our lives. So most times in the Bible, we're dealing with broad issues of morality, and then we have to come in and say, but what are some of the principles? How do we guide our steps? How do we make decisions about issues that really are neither right or wrong, that, that both may be good decisions? So how do we navigate which way that we should go? This is one of those weeks where we're not dealing with issue issues of morality like we were last week, we're dealing with issues of principle. And with that framing, let me read to you. Now, I'm gonna throw you a curveball today because I'm gonna read out of the ESV, which I rarely do. Usually I read out of the NASB. And if you've bought an NASB because that's what the pastor uses, and now you're gonna be like, well, what in the world? Why are you going to ESV? Just hold It's one week. I usually stick with the NASB, but this week it is gonna be easier for me. I won't have to go back and explain near as much Because I believe that this week with this text, the ESV really gets the context better than all the other translations. And so I'm going to use the ESV this morning so that you can see it. What I believe is in the best context, the best interpretation that we have to give us the clearest understanding. So in chapter 7, beginning in verse 25, here is what the Word of God says. And this is what stinks. All my Bibles are in very large writing for preaching, and this one is in very small writing. So you all hang with me. Uh, I mean, it is really small. So it says, "Now concerning the betrothed." Okay, now we're going to get into what that means. Most of your translations probably uses the term virgin. Okay, uh, I think the best translation of this word in context is betrothed, and we'll get into why in just a moment. It says, "Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy." I think that in view of present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if, you, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious, about, or, uh, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man, he is anxious about the worldly things and how to please his wife if uh, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, then let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It is no sin, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. I told you we were going to kick over some rocks and look at some interesting topics in the next few weeks, and this certainly is one of them as we look at the topic of singleness. Now, the things that I want to share with you today about singleness, I hope to bring this down uh, into some really good application. This actually was a very difficult passage to study. When you really try to get into understanding the original languages and look at context, For this, All the translations, all the commentators, really the reality is there are so many things that I looked at that blow right by chapter 7. You'd be shocked how many passages, how many preachers that you will even see that they will go through a lot of these chapters and then they kind of pick and choose which ones they're not going to talk about, they're not going to go over. And this was one of those chapters, so it really took a lot of study to try to get this to where hopefully we can chew on it, we can consume it, and we can apply it. To our lives. So, the first thing that I would like to say about singleness this morning, and really it's not what I want to say, it's what God's Word says to us this morning, is He says, first and foremost, that singleness is a good thing. Okay, now the way that He goes about it, He begins there in verse 25, and He says, Now concerning the betrothed, again, I told you that word means sometimes uh, it's translated, I would say, most times as virgins now it comes in the female form of that word which means that in many ways this context is dealing with and, and, and a lot of times in these chapters it's pointing towards unmarried women and betrothed gives us the idea that these are women that are of marrying age i think it's why they chose the word i think it's why they use the words what's happening in this culture in greece Uh, and what's happening in this culture in Corinth, what's happening in this culture around the world in Rome and other places, it's interesting because you have the Jews who have a very high degree of regard for marriage. They look at marriage as something that almost is something that every man should do. It's almost looked at that if you're not married, there's something spiritually wrong with you, and has God blessed you? And if you don't have children, what in the world? I mean, that's the way they look at marriage. But then you've got the flip side. And you've got the Greeks and and you've got others that they hold a lower view of marriage. That literally, remember, there we're talking about a culture where prostitutes are coming out of the temples and sleeping with men all over this town. There are men and women in these towns, in these places, in Corinth that literally uh, they're having affairs and they're not even thinking about it. They're having relationships with these prostitutes and they're not even thinking about it. Many of these people have multiple wives. Many of these people are divorcing their spouses over and over and over again. On record, sometimes there are people in this time and age that they have been married and divorced literally 26, 27 times from some of the historians. So you see that what Paul is dealing with is a low view of marriage on one end and a very high view of marriage on the other, when we talk about the Jews and we talk about being betrothed to a person, go back to the story about Mary. Go back and remember that Jesus, when, he, when, when Mary was told about the birth of Jesus, that she was betrothed to Joseph. And remember that in their uh, context, literally to be betrothed at that point was equal with being married. If you were going to get away from that betrothal, what we would consider an engagement period, the engagement was so serious that you literally had to divorce even though there wasn't a marriage ceremony. That's how high their view of relationships, of marriage, that's what it was. So you've got two very different things. And it's kind of interesting, if you were to look at this chapter this week and paint a picture of it, it'd be like two cows who have stuck their head through the fence to eat the grass on the other side, only to look face to face and realize that, you know what, why in the world are we doing this? We both have grass, we both have good things, why do we feel like the grass is what? always greener on the other side and that is where most people are with marriage and divorce they always wonder is the other better which is more godly which is more spiritual which is more blessed which is the one that that God would have for me and we wrestle and we go through all these things and where he begins is he literally says and He finished with it last week listen be content where God found you if he found you single then keep walking with Him and keep growing in Him and keep doing the things that Christ has commanded you to do as a single. And if you're married, obviously, He's going to say, stay married, even if it's difficult, even if you have an unbelieving spouse. Stay married to them and let your witness find a way into their hearts so that they can see the goodness, the grace, the forgiveness of God through the life of a believer. He says singleness is a good thing. What does He say about it? He says we have to be content. I cannot tell you how important it is in the life of a believer that they find themselves to be content. This is how important it is. In 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, he said to this young preacher, he said, now godliness with contentment, he said, it's great gain. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul would go on and say, for I have learned that whatever state that I am in to be content." I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, most of us take that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and we make it about football, don't we? Or we make it about this and that and the other. And it's interesting how we use this verse. What this verse is in context is it says that no matter what I am facing in this life, no matter the difficulty, whether it's good or bad, guess what? I can get through it, and I can have joy, and I can have peace, and I can love God, and I can be faithful, and all of those things. I can be content because no matter where I am in life, guess what? God will help me get through it. Okay? Contentment. I think some of the best descriptions of contentment, one man put it this way. He said, a contented man is the one who enjoys the scenery of all the detours of life. Think about that. Doesn't life take us places we're not expecting? How many detours are there? In life, Literally, the things that if it was up to you, if you had control, you'd keep going straight. But God says, no, we're going to go right. And he says that, hey, you know what? If you're going right, I've put you there. If you're going right, I have a reason. And contentment is the person, the man, the woman who enjoys the scenery along all the detours. Another person said it this way, that contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want but the realization of how much you already have. See, when you think about marriage, when you think about singleness, this comes into play. Because he says, you have to be content. We can be content whether we're single, whether we're married. And he wants to say to these people that are on both extremes, he's going to say, listen, neither is a sin. If you're married, it's not a sin. If you're single, it's not a sin. That's what, I'm saying. That's what I said earlier about these are our issues where Paul says, listen, I want to help you navigate this because you're making it as if one is right and one is wrong, one is spiritual and one is unspiritual. He's saying, look, neither of these is a sin. And he's going to go a little bit further and he's going to say, in fact, both are a gift. Now, parents, let me say this to you about your children. Many times we pressure them to what? What do we pressure our children to? Usually to marry, don't we? If they're 25 years old and hadn't got a girlfriend, we're like, hmm, what's wrong? They can be 26 and we act like they're already, you know, widowed or something. Like like they're never gonna get married and they're past their opportunity. To be married. Listen, early in life, singleness can absolutely be a gift, and really throughout all of our life. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying a person who chooses to control those passions within them and live their life with Christ, for Christ, without all the things that come with marriage. He says that is a good thing. But guess what? Marriage is also a good thing because it displays the glory of God to the world in the way that we relate to one another. And he says, so neither is a sin. Both are are a gift. Staying married, or I'm sorry, staying unmarried, Paul is going to say is desirable, but he's going to say it's not demanded. And the same is true of marriage. It can be desirable, but it's not demanded. God can use us right where we are, and we shouldn't be quick to change our station in life. Not without thinking, not without. Prayer, Not without consideration and asking God, what do you have for us? And, and I would say this because when you get to verse 27, listen to what he says. And I think the terminology is on purpose because he says twice in verse 27, if you're this, do not seek to be that. And if you're that, do not seek to be this. Let me tell you why that verse is important because the starting place for all of our spiritual lives, we have to ask ourselves, what is it we are seeking because here's what the word of God says, seek first what? The kingdom of God, and then what will God do? He's going to add to you what exactly it is that you need in your life. See, most of us we go through life and we're seeking this and we're seeking that and we're seeking this and we're seeking that because we think I can't be content, I can't be happy, I can't have joy. What is everybody else going to think about me? And we have all these motivations to seek all these things when the Bible is speaking clearly to us that you know what? I would say here is why most people who are single that want to be married struggle so much is because their sole focus, guess what it's become? Finding that mate. And God is saying, you know what? How about you seek me? Because here's the reality. If you want to understand... Really, what our, our positions should be as we're looking at marriage and, and relationships? Let me say this: that success in marriage involves much more than finding the right mate. It requires being the right mate. And you will only get to that place when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and let him bring into your life those gifts and those blessings. And those things that he wants to give to you. And recognize that, you know what? Sometimes his gift may not be what at all you were expecting. The gift may be singleness. The gift may be marriage. At least slow down long enough to ask the Lord what it is that he has for you. Now, one of the other reasons that Paul gives for singleness, and let me say this too. One of the things that Paul says uh, as he gets into this section is he basically says in verse 25 and 26, he says, now concerning the betrothed, he said, I don't have a command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He's saying, listen, I've lived this. I've been through this. In fact, we probably know that Paul was on both sides. He's been both married and single. And what he's saying to you is, I want you to understand the benefits of being single. I don't want you to rush by them. I don't want you to think that it's a negative thing because where I'm standing and where God has called me, it is a beautiful thing. It is a necessary Thing for me to be single, and he says, "Listen, I've walked this road faithfully, and here's why he believes singleness might be desired by people." As he says, number or number two, he says, "Number one, it's a good thing. Number two, singleness spares distress. It spares distress." You say, "Well, are you saying that marriage is distressing?" Well, you ask yourself that. How many of you in here would say marriage is easy? A piece of cake. If you raise your hand, it's because you've been married a day. <laughs> because the reality is, marriage is one of the greatest blessings that we can have. God blesses us with marriages, but it comes at the end, right? Of a lot of hard work, a lot of responsibilities. Responsibilities. The reality is, he's going to say, and and what I think he's pointing at is that there's three areas of distress that come to us in marital relationships is number one, that marriage itself, it's the distress of multiplied issues. Listen, when you're single, you have an issue, it's just an issue with you. When you're married, it becomes an issue with your wife, it becomes an issue with your children, it becomes an issue with your in-laws, it becomes an I mean, you understand what, what we're saying here is that when you look at it, he's saying, let's just think logically, let's just think about principles here, is that sometimes there's benefit to being single because you don't have all the multiplied issues. When we're married, it increases our responsibilities. It calls for readjustments to our finances. It calls for readjustments to our leisure time, our personal goals. That's why so many people struggle in marriage. That's why it's difficult, is because in marriage, one of the hardest lessons we have to learn and, and folks, this is why marriage on the other end is a good thing. He's saying it's neither bad nor good because on one end we actually learn that we're not the center of the universe in marriage. There's benefits to being married, but he says there's also benefits to being single because one of the hardest things is to take two lives and make them what? One. Now we have it and we understand it in the consummate of marriage where a sex act, Right? when you consummate the marriage, but it's more than that. It's further than that. This oneness means that, you know what, we yoke ourselves to another person, and where I wanted to go this way and they wanted to go this way, we have to find a way to go this way. And it's difficult. And it's tough. And he says, listen, there's benefit to avoiding the distress of the multiple issues that you have when you become married he talks about the term and he uses the term trouble there and it means to be pressed together to be put under pressure you see the reality of marriage is this we talked about a little bit last week marriage is one sinner marrying another sinner and whenever you have one sinner it's hard enough but you put two sinners in now you really got issues right and then you go and you make new little sinners (laughs) and it gets even harder And he says, just recognize that it's hard enough for a sinner to live with himself, let alone with another sinner. I think it comes from the distress of difficult marriages. Not just multiplied issues. But I think sometimes just in the fact that sometimes we get in places in our marriage where it becomes extremely difficult difficult. It seems simple when we talk about marriage because marriage, you know, we think about it. It's where I'm going to love my wife and I'm going to cherish her and I'm going to honor her. And and we have all these words that we use on the day that we get married, but we find that it's easier said than what? Than done. A lot of yourself has to die to be able to accomplish those things. And when you get into marriage, you're going to find that, you know what, there's a lot of trouble that goes on in marriage simply because I'm having to learn how to love another person more than I love myself, how to consider their needs greater than my needs. And listen, when we aren't able to do that, we become and we find ourselves in a difficult, difficult marriage. Home should be the place, you would think, where we find our noblest opportunity to show the world this is what forgiveness looks like. This is what love looks like. This is what Christ looks like when he loves his church, but the reality is we find ourselves not always displaying Christ in our marriage. Too often we find that in our homes we get quarrelsome. We get critical of each other. We fight. We scream. Sometimes we find, have you ever noticed, I mean, this is true for all of us. That it's just as easy, rather than to display Christ, it's just as easy, if not easier, to treat the person that we're married to worse than we would treat a complete stranger. We say things to our spouses we would never say to a stranger. We would never say to our boss. We would never say to another friend. And he says, listen, marriage on one end through all the work. Remember how Jesus does work and and mold us. He does it through suffering, doesn't he? He works through trials. He gives us trials to perfect our faith. And, and he's just saying, listen, there's a lot that you don't have to deal with if you're not married. If you are married, don't think that it can't end in that blessing. But it comes on the heels of a lot of crucible time. In the fire. Being tested. He's just being practical. Practical. And then he goes on and says, that, and I think what he means is the distress of persecution. You've got multiplied issues and, and you've got difficult marriages, but you've got to remember the context of when he was writing this. And he's saying, listen, there is great persecution all around us. For the Apostle Paul, remember, he was shipwrecked. Remember, he was beaten. Remember, he was flogged. Remember, he was nearly stoned to death numerous times over and over again. Here is a man that walked the streets of Rome and other places, and he was literally hated by people. Imagine the toll that it takes on a family when you're enduring that kind of persecution. It's one thing when you're facing it alone and by yourself without the responsibilities of a family that needs you and cares for you. And on top of that, you've got Paul who's got to go from place to place, from church to church, all over the world. He's traveling, and think about the toll that that alone would take on a marriage. And he's saying... Listen, sometimes just the distress of of that kind of a life, the persecution that we're going to face, he says, you know what? Singleness actually can spare you from that distress. Now, thirdly, he goes on and says, singleness helps us set our mind on things above. And here's one of the positive sides of it, because he keeps going back and forth between the negative and the positive. He does it with marriage. It's not that it's all negative or it's all positive. The reality is there's both in each of these things that we could choose between. But he says, let's look at singleness and see that it helps us set our mind on things above. This is one of the difficulties within the text of how to tear it apart and how to look at it. But he goes on, and you'll see here that he says, beginning in verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. If a troth woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers, and here he goes. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they are not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of all of the world is passing away. Here's what I believe he's saying in these verses to break it down and to give it to you is the singleness helps us set our mind on things above on things that are eternal. You see so much of marriage will turn our attention towards things of the world and when I say things of the world it means that it's one thing when you're by yourself I could live in a lot of different ways but I wouldn't probably live that way if I have a wife and children. Does that make sense? Like I can go camp for a week for 10 days, for 20 days out in the woods myself, but I don't know that I'm going to take my family and make them live in a tent down by the stream, right? There are differences. There are things that we begin to look at the world very differently when we are married and we look at the world very differently when we are single. And he says that being single, it really helps us focus on things that are eternal i would say that sometimes marriage family can be actually one of the biggest distractions from us walking faithfully with the lord and the things that he has commanded us to do so many times you know what we're thinking disney or missions Horseback riding or tithing. You see what I'm saying? I mean, can we be honest? Listen, most of us live on the paradigm of you know what I want to give my kids a better life than I had myself. If only we meant that spiritually. Usually, when we say that, how do we mean it? Materialistically. And we get sidetracked and we start chasing the world. And we start focusing on the wrong things and we and sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it. He says listen the the time is short. We have to set our mind on things above things that are eternal because why the time is short I don't think that he means there necessarily that jesus is coming back I think that can be part of what he is looking at But I think really what he's looking at when you look at the the word there for the time is short It literally means that greek word something that has been contracted or rolled up And what it means when it says contracted or rolled up the picture is of a sailing vessel Then when a sailing vessel comes into harbor, what do they begin to do? They start to lower the sails, right? And they start to fold up the sails, and they start to prepare because they have arrived at the place where they're going. And I think it has more to do with the fact that our life is like a what? A vapor, the Bible says. That really we have these 70 years if we're fortunate. And folks, if you haven't noticed, if you're young, you don't realize it yet. When you get older, you start to realize that you turn around, and it's like, where did it where did it go? All the things I wanted to accomplish, all the things that I want to do, where did the time go? And he's saying, listen, time is short. Eternity is what? Long. And this short life has to be focused on the things that matter most, not even just to us, but that matter most to God. And listen, most of us, we're looking at life as if the 70 years is more important Than the billions and trillions and gazillions of years that we have ahead of us. And he says, when you're married, that just multiplies and it just gets harder. He said, when we're married, and I think what he's getting at here is that we get sidetracked from thinking of things above because we become so driven by emotion. And lastly, we become so driven by material possessions. I think what he's literally saying here, and most of us in America, we don't like to hear a statement like this, but it doesn't change the reality that we live in. I believe what he means is that we shouldn't be so totally wrapped up in our families, our pleasures, and our possessions that they become deterrents from our spiritual priorities. And he says, when you're single, it's easier. Fourthly, he says, singleness avoids distractions. You see there in verse 30, man, my eyesight is horrible, 32, it says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man, he is what? He is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And he says, and their interests are divided. And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say to you, for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and try to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He says that, you know what, singleness, it helps us avoid distractions. He basically makes it very simple. He, he makes two statements here. He says, when you remain single, our lives are not so divided and he says that when we're single our lives are much more devoted anytime you add another person into a family guess what it takes the 24 hours that you have and it adds another slice and then that person's going to eventually take up about 20 slices and if you have 10 of those little people, they're going to take up a whole bunch of slices, right? And the more you have, the more slices, because each of them demand attention and they demand affection, as they should. They are human beings who have been given to us that we are responsible for. But can you see why he says, that? you know what, I just want you to think about the blessings of being single, because you don't have to deal with a life that is so divided he says that the unmarried person it gives them a benefit that the married people do not have and that is that their loyalties are not nearly as divided their focus is not nearly as divided think about what you could do i mean just just in practical terms think about giving capacity if you didn't if you weren't married when i think about what it would mean i would probably live in a much smaller house i would only have one car I probably would, I mean, I would probably live off of 99-cent ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese and hot dogs because I don't know how to cook. I mean, mean, think about the difference. Think about the the time difference. If, If every day all I had to think about was, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, where do you want me to go today? Lord, how do you, I mean, think about that question. But there's so many times that we think, you know what, somebody will ask, I mean, even me as pastor, you know, I want to, I mean, truly everybody's like, well, pastors work 24-7. That's not technically true because a good pastor is going to at least be thinking that if he has a wife and children, he has to at times say what? No. You know, my, my daughter's getting married today. I'm sorry. I can't, I, I know, I, I wish I could be at the hospital. I wish I could hold your hand through the surgery. I wish I could do that funeral, but I have to make a A choice, right? And you see, the reality is our choices would look very different. Our capacity to not be so divided would look totally different outside of marriage. And that's why he's saying, hey, listen, some people in this world, they leave a huge footprint spiritually because they chose to remain single. And God took that singleness, that undivided life, and he used it. Does that mean that people that are married can't be used? Is that what I'm saying? No. But he says singleness, it's a benefit. And he says, obviously, the flip side is because you're not divided, that means you can be more what? You can be more devoted. Just ask your spouse, just ask your kids. Everybody, and it's natural and it's good. All of them, guess what they want from us more than anything else? They just want time. And obviously, the more time that we have to give to others, it's time that we may not be able to give to others, right? And so you've got people in this world that, guess what? I I think of people, um, uh, Mother Teresa, somebody like her. You know what? Because she chose to remain single, she could go to a place like Calcutta, India, and she could serve those people that no one else had time to serve, that no one else had time to serve to love. She was able to pick up and pour her lives into lepers. She was able to pour her lives into the sick. She was able to pour her lives into the her life into the lonely. She was able to pour her life into this country of people and she will forever be remembered because really she chose that singleness as a gift to pursue what God wanted for her and the footprint that she left spiritually is amazing. So guys, Girls, singleness may be a great option. I can tell you this, that I truly believe you show me a person who is single, because listen, you can be single and ungodly. You can be married and ungodly, right? right? So don't get me wrong. These things can fall apart depending on what the person is choosing to do with the situation that they are in. But you show me a person whose life is solely devoted and singly devoted to the things of God, I'm I'm telling you what, the potential, it is staggering what God could do with that life. Now, for us that's married, guess where a lot of our time and attention is going to go. He says our children, they're like what? They're like arrows. And so we're taking them and we're trying to make them weapons, spiritual weapons to go out into the world and to make an impact. So our starting place in ministry is where? right there in our home, right there with our family. But in many ways, once we get to that point, other things become non-options. And he's saying, just think about it. Just consider, is singleness for you? For the simple sake that it avoids distraction. And then lastly, he says, singleness should be considered seriously. And it's interesting because... At the end of this text, he starts to talk, and, and translations that are not ESV, that's where it gets confusing. I think it's where the context starts to, you've you got to understand that. I think it's saying about, this is really in detail about a person who is of marrying age. This, this is about that understanding that even a person who is on the verge of being married, Paul is saying, consider your option. Even if you've been betrothed, even if you're at that place, because in Greek culture, it's just like in our culture today, I tell people all the time, and when I walk in for a wedding, I don't ever hesitate to look at the husband and say, What? Are you sure? <laughs> Listen, you better be sure. You know why? Because what you're about to do, how long does it last? Forever. And I mean, isn't that true? there's a lot of decisions you can make that you can make it today and then you can change it tomorrow. Marriage isn't one of them. It's blood in, blood out. It's like a gang. You don't get out. (laughs) And, And he's saying to all of us, you know what? It's never too late until you say what? I do. But once you say I do, Guess what? It's a lifelong commitment. Some would say a life sentence. It's not. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but the reality is you get it, right? It's permanent. There's no way out. And all those things that you might have been able to pursue when you were single, now those things are no longer an option. And, And I think for some of you, what does this look like? I think for some of us, It looks like, because he's encouraging the fathers here that, you know what, even with your children, understand that I know that you have this desire to be married and have lots of kids, but he's encouraging the dads to recognize that, you know what, it's not a sin if you don't make them marry, because back then, arranged marriages were kind of the thing of the day, right? And most of the world still today, that's the way that it is. And he's saying, dads, you know what, you need to give your daughters an opportunity to think through singleness. And if they choose to get married because they're burning with passion or they just feel like it's what they're called to do and they want that gift of marriage, it's not a sin to let them do it, nor vice versa. And so he's just giving us this reality that you know what, you have to understand that at the end of the day, it comes down to that one moment. And you need to think through. Number one, is the person I'm about to marry the right person? Being equally yoked isn't just, are they Christians or are they not Christians? that's how we normally just try to draw the line. Well, they go to church. Okay. Are they growing spiritually? Do they really love Jesus, or do they just love checking off a box that they're going to go sit in a pew for a Sunday? Being in church doesn't make you necessarily a Christian, does it? No, so there's got to be more than that. For Melanie and I, you know what it was? I already had a call on my life to go into ministry before I ever met Melanie. When I met Melanie and I could feel that I was falling in love with her and I was trying to make the decision, do I need to be married, is it the time, is it right? One of the first things that popped in my head was, you know what, this this could be a problem. And the reason it could be a problem was very simple, Melanie was a pastor's kid and when you grow up a pastor's kid, guess sometimes what you don't want to be as an adult? You don't want to be a pastor's wife! You've lived in the fishbowl, you've watched your dad get rung through the ringer by church members, you've watched him be maligned, you've watched business meetings go sideways, you remember what it was like when you were 16 and he had to go to the hospital and he missed your birthday party. And there are some people that when they get to that point, they literally say, not again. I might marry a lot of different people, but I won't marry a pastor, and that was my concern. And I remember sitting down with her and saying, listen, I want to pursue this relationship. However, I I, I know the call that God has placed on my life. And if we're going to be equally yoked, what does that mean? I can't get away from my calling. I have to go this way because when God calls, what do you say? Yes, and it supersedes every other relationship that you have in your life. Now, folks, there are many people that would disagree with that. There are many people that would look and they would say, I had a call to missions. And suddenly they met somebody and they didn't have a call to missions and what do they do? Suddenly they say, oh, I miss her God. I didn't realize she was going to walk into my life. I believe there are many people that have missed their calling chasing a relationship. And being equally yoked means we're going to be faithful to what God has called us to. Even if it means we have to put a relationship second to obedience to God. And that takes a lot of courage. And I understand the difficulties that come with that. But folks, I want you to understand that for some of you in this room, singleness may go to 35. God may use up your youthfulness and your strength and your energy to do the things to put all of those young years into a, a missionary career. And then you may come back and you may say, listen, I've got this gift now for you. And I want you to start a family that may not be at 20. Make sure, and what I guess I'm asking at the end of the day is, make sure of the decision that you're making, because I can't think of a more important decision that we make in life than whether we will be married or we will not be married, because it is the one life-altering decision that we will make that will have huge ramifications for the rest of our story. And the good news is this. You can serve God faithfully, married or unmarried. My thing is, make sure that you know what it is he's asking of you. Because at the end of the day, it's not my will be done, but what is it supposed to be? Lord, let your will be done in me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your word that challenges us, even on, on issues that, Lord, they're just so specific. And, Lord, they speak to us Today, this was written thousands of years ago, yet we sit here today and it is as relevant as it was then. And Father, I pray, I can see that there are singles out there even right now that are listening, that that are nodding, that, that Lord, they're out there trying to find what it is that you have for them and the direction that you want them to go in their life. And I pray that you would bring them clarity. I pray that they would know that it doesn't matter what anybody else says about marriage, what anybody else says about singleness, except for you. They are told many things from many places. But Lord, the only thing they need to hear is what your word says. And I pray that today that they see that both are good, both are gifts, both are options. And Lord, that they would seek out your will in your face as they make these decisions. For those of us that are married, Lord, strengthen our marriages. Father, I pray that our marriages would not get in the way that our life and our pursuits and and the things that we're trying to build and, and everything else that it would not get in the way of the kingdom work that you would have us do, Lord, that you would teach us how to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice as a family to be faithful to do the things that you have asked of us. Being married doesn't give us an excuse, to not put spiritual things first in our lives. So, Father, I pray that we would pursue you, that we would pursue your kingdom, that, Lord, if we're going to seek anything, may we seek you with our whole hearts. And, Lord, as we have this invitation, help us to do business, whether married, whether single. Lord, help us to speak to you, to commit to you the things that we need to today. We may be married, and we may realize that, you know what? I am I'm really living for this world that is passing away and we're doing things that are focused on worldly things, and we're having fun, and we're going places. But, Lord, we haven't left any room for Bible study. We haven't left any room for missions. We haven't left any room for being able to faithfully give to the body of Christ so that people may come to know Jesus. Father, if that's where we are, change us. Help us in our married status. And, Father, I just pray today that if someone doesn't know you, Lord, you're the greatest picture of this relationship, of what marriage looks like. Lord, you love us and you call us to yourself. And Lord, you sanctify us and you free us and you give us life. And Father, I pray that today if somebody here has never sought forgiveness of sins, if they've never asked you to forgive them and save them from their sins, that they would do that today. They would repent, turn from their sins. They would confess that they are sinners. And Lord, that they would believe that you died on the cross for them and for their sins and you paid the price for the sins they committed. You were buried, you rose again, and Lord, today, they can surrender to you. If they've never done that, Lord, may they pray right where they are, Lord Jesus, that you would save them and change them and work in them. Lord, have your way in us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.